Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune into Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. You are listening to the DC Public Library on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. This is the first episode of a new series called Memories on Tap in which we highlight the stories of people who have used the library's memory lab to preserve the memories contained in their precious personal items, including home videos, audio recordings, photographs, and more. I am your host, Robert LaRose, and I work at the Northeast Library on Capitol Hill, which is where the memory lab is currently located. So the memory lab, to give an introduction to that, is basically a do-it-yourself workstation with the software and equipment for digitizing home audio and video recordings and photographs. So the formats that the Memory Lab accommodates include audio cassettes, VHS, VHS-C, mini-DV and DV-CAM, three and a half inch floppy disks, photographs, 35 millimeter slides, negatives, and documents. And if you cannot remember all of those because it's a lot, or if you weren't writing them down, thankfully we do have a site or a page on the library's website where you can go to to learn more information about it. And that is dclibrary.org forward slash labs forward slash memory lab. And also on that site you can sign up for orientation classes which are held at the Northeast Library to learn more about how to use the lab. So a little bit more history about the lab. Um, It opened in February 2016 at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library downtown. And it started as a national digital stewardship residency project that was actually begun in June 2015 that focused on creating a sustainable public-focused lab, tools, and instruction for building public knowledge and skills around personal digital record-keeping at the DC Public Library, and to produce a model for other organizations serving the public. So in 2017, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, also known as IMLS, awarded DC Public Library in partnership with the Public Library Association, a national leadership grant to build Memory Lab digital preservation programs in seven additional libraries across the United States, which are collectively known as the Memory Lab Network. So through an application process, these seven public libraries were identified just last year in 2018 as project partners and are currently creating personal digital archiving stations and programs for their communities following our model at DC Public Library. And 
an even better um, news is that we are actually currently forming a cohort of seven more libraries that will be trained in 2020 um, to build the Memory Lab network even further. So once again, to learn more about the lab, go to dclibrary.org slash labs slash memory lab. So as I said before, this series is meant to uh, highlight the stories of people who actually have used the lab in the past to complete their own archiving projects. So today we are very fortunate to have as a guest, Angela Forrest. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Angela is a government contractor working in international development and specifically um, focusing on knowledge management. If you could tell us a little bit more about what you do, Angela. Sure. Please. So I support an office uh, in the United States Agency for International Development. Um, and basically my job involves supporting the staff in the office, helping them um, capture knowledge and information through various channels and improving and, and kind of facilitating the improvement of, of information. Um, and from note-taking to facilitating um, meetings to identifying processes, documenting um, processes, uh, building websites to capture knowledge and centralize knowledge and information. It's a lot. It, it's a lot of librarianship activities, right. really. Um, but I think the main difference is that it's uh, it's very internal. It's really about helping uh, an organizational staff improve the flow of information and knowledge within that organization. Right. And you mentioned that you are a librarian yourself and you have an MLS, right? I do, mm. from Maryland in uh, 2013. Very nice. So um, just to get started, um, can you tell us a little bit about your own collection of materials that you digitized and um, the story behind them? Sure. So um, it really started with, with my cousin, uh, Wanda Forrest, who uh, lives in Baltimore. And um, it really came out of a, a conversation. I had actually, now that I'm, I'm thinking, the photos came after I had interviewed her father, who is my great uncle, mm -hmm. Russell. And um, I think both of us being, um, me conducting the interview and her being present for the interview really kind of triggered a, a desire to kind of um, capture all of these photos and obituaries that, that he had gathered over the years. Um, he was in his 80s then, and uh, she kind of became like the steward of his, you know, because he was kind of not um, in great health. This was a couple of years ago. She became the steward of this information, and so it kind of initiated a conversation about we need to preserve this and what is the best way to preserve this and um, it's just a lot of information and so this is my uh, my cousin and my uncle and my dad's side and so the information that that she had and she basically you know this is going back 30 years or more um, photos and obituaries she just gave it to me and she's like 
do what you need to do, you know. She knows that my background, I was initially a journalist for about 11 years before I moved to the D.C. area um, in 2007. And so, yeah, I mean, my first thought was, where's the best place that I can go to, to get this information digitized? Mm-hmm. Um, I have done work previously working for the U.S. Senate and helping archive um, you know, materials both online and print materials for two different senators. So my immediate thought was, well, I'm going to go to the library. <laughs> That's kind of like the, the cheapest, most accessible place that came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, being a librarian and having gone to library school, um, I think I initially went on the Martin Luther King uh, library website to kind of research that um, and then I found out about the memory lab and then basically scheduled a time to go in and and get all of these materials uh, scanned and digitized okay so so you you used the lab when it was still at MLK yes and I, th- I think I actually forgot to mention that um, even though the lab did start its life at MLK, um, it, since the library has been in a renovation phase, it is currently being hosted at the Northeast Library. Okay, so, yes. But, so that's good. You were one of the first yes. users of the lab. Yeah, I think it had actually opened up maybe three or four weeks before oh, wow. I used it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Helping to break it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I went on uh, probably on a Saturday mm-hmm. and um, just kind of reviewed some of the, the information. I had already reviewed things on, um, on the website. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, well, I know how to scan stuff, but there really is kind of a process to being able to capture that and it's different if you have photos versus documents and I had a combination Mm -hmm. and um, I had to kind of test it out a little bit and see the best way to capture this information Um, and I think I ended up kind of grouping photos together Um, like I said I mean I didn't know all of the people in the photos or all of the people that are in the obituaries but going through that process and then kind of having spoken to my great uncle and then talking to my cousin who did know all of these people, um, it's kind of led to me connecting more with these people because um, my great uncle Russell died last October, October 18th, so it's been a little over a year. Yeah. Um, at his funeral, there were uh, cousins who um, were, you know, connected through those photos and through those obituaries. And um, since then I have, um, you know, since meeting them um, at the funeral, I have kind of extended my relationships with these cousins and gotten to know them and they're they're wonderful people. That's fantastic. (laughs) And that's actually something that um, in talking to other people who use the lab, I hear kind of the same thing. You know, it, it really does spark um, a renewal of relationships between family members, and that's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, tell us a little more about your great uncle Russell. Yes, yeah, so my my great uncle. Um, he was born um, in 1934, 
he was born in uh, South Central Virginia, about f- uh, four hours south of Richmond, which is where most of my family is from, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. Um, so he grew up in on the farm, mm-hmm. um, and he grew up uh, really during the during the Great Depression. Um, he did have a, a tragedy when he was two and a half years old. His mother was um, actually murdered. Oh my! Um, and so when I interviewed him, he is um, he's such a, a positive outlook on life uh, so inspiring because he talked about that experience and how he was very young and even though he definitely always thought about not having grown up with his mother or his father um, he was actually raised by my grandparents um, after this happened Mm -hmm. and so he's so appreciative of the fact that they at the time that this happened, my grandmother and grandfather were in New York and um, were actually doing quite well. Um, they, my father had, was, had already been born and um, they were, my grandmother was actually working as a maid and my grandfather, I'm trying to remember, I think he was, I can't remember exactly what he was doing, but he was, they were doing okay and they were pretty much planning to probably spend you know, a good deal of time in New York and, and probably raise their children there. Um, and then this happened. And so um, they had to come back to Virginia. Oh, wow. Um, and they took on the responsibility of, of raising some of these 10 children um, who had been basically orphaned for an extended period of time. Um, so that history is a history I knew about, but I didn't know about it from the perspective of, um, you know, my great uncle. I had spoken to his sister, my great aunt Betty, about it, um, but she was older. She was um, she was a lot older when it happened, so it was a little different perspective. Um, but you know, he ended up moving to Baltimore in the fifties, um, I think, like nineteen fifty four. And um, he started working for the city of Baltimore in the, with the public housing um, as a, um, he was basically the, um, I guess you would call it the, the super. Mm-hmm. Uh, today you would call it the facilities manager. Right. <laughs> um, he lived on the premises. My cousin grew up on the premises. Um, and he did so much for the young people in that com- in, in, in the, the projects and the housing projects there. Um, he also ended up raising um, several stepchildren. Once he got married, he, he, he ended up raising um, several stepchildren um, basically as his own. Um, so after he um, died, my, my cousin, his daughter, started a scholarship fund. Uh, in his name, uh, to give scholarships to um, recipients who lived live in the the housing projects there, That's just to nice. honor his memory. And and he told me stories about you know just making time for young people there. Some of them who may not have had you know parental role models, right. um, but just dedicating his time to like really helping any young person. In, in the housing projects, um, get some guidance and, and kind of providing some guidance to them. So he's very, at his funeral, there were a lot of people who came 
Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the housing project. My cousin's going to be mad at me. I can't remember. (laughs) I think it's called Flag House Mm -hmm. Housing Projects. And there were a lot of people who who had come, you know, who remembered him and remembered growing up and, and interacting with him and the kind of person he was and how he was just so generous with his time and and uh, so he has an incredible legacy that he left behind you know he wasn't um, famous you know he was a regular working man supporting his family um, work you know grew up in racially segregated Virginia um, moved to Baltimore which was racially segregated in the 50s Mm -hmm. And um, he was just determined to kind of chart his own course in life and to turn uh, an early tragedy uh, into something positive. It probably fueled his desire to be there for young people, you know, his personal experiences. Right. That is fantastic. And it is quite yeah. a story. Yeah. And it, it's, it's precisely those people who kind of inform your life in the background or seem to that tend to make the biggest difference sometimes yeah. so that's yeah. fantastic yeah he, he definitely positively touched a lot of people's lives mm-hmm. yeah, and it shows with the attendance at his funeral yeah that's amazing so um you you mentioned before that uh going through this whole process you didn't know a lot of the people in the photographs that you had. So, um, you know, because a lot of people are in the exact same boat Mm -hmm. when they approach this kind of project. Do you have any advice for people who, um, you know, might be in a similar scenario where they might not have the resources to find out who these people are in their in their photos? Um, but, well, what did you do to go about figuring that information out? Um, just talking to family talking, members. And, yeah, talking mm-hmm. to my cousin Wanda, my mm-hmm. uncle Russell's uh, uncle Russell's daughter. Um, uncle Russell, Uncle Russell gave me a tremendous amount of information about his siblings mm-hmm. and about his um, mother mm-hmm. and his father. He's, he has an incredible memory. I, I'm just blown away about how he was able to remember things so accurately, right. years and dates. And so I have lots of great information about his siblings. And, um, and then his daughter, Wanda, you know, she grew up with these, a lot of these people right, in Baltimore and um, in Virginia. You know, she knew them. She's a little bit older than me, not that much, mm-hmm. but I, it's interesting. I kind of grew up far away from really all extended family. I grew up in North Dakota. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, so I think my motivation is, you know, since I had moved, I had been out of North Dakota for quite some time, and I've, I've lived in, in uh, Maryland for since 2007 and then North Carolina and Virginia before that like South Central Virginia but um, basically I just talked to them and um, I just you know at the time I was scanning the photos they didn't some of the people like I didn't have a connection to them even though my cousin was telling me this person oh this is this person this is this person 
it was just like kind of a name until I think I met my other cousins at my uncle Russell's funeral. And then one of the people in particular, um, they was their sibling and she died. She died fairly young. Um, she actually has the same name as first name as me. Oh, wow. So there's a really interesting connection there. And so I, I still want to learn more about this particular cousin and the other people are some of the some of my uncle Russell's siblings. The other obituaries represent them, and um, even interestingly, my own parents don't even know a whole lot about the other siblings. Um, but because I'm kind of talking to my cousins in Baltimore, um, I'm learning a lot more about the other siblings, and that's you know hopefully that will lead to me even meeting um, their children and their grandchildren. Right. Ideally. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people are in that exact same boat. And it, it seems like many people, um, especially who use the lab, and you might be um, or have been put in this same situation, uh, their family members entrust them with the basically the sole duty of preserving everything and making sure all of these memories are usable and accessible to the rest of the family. But as you mentioned, it really does take communication among the whole family, and it's really not a job that just one person should be doing. Mm, true. Yeah. I would say on, uh, on my dad's side, there's quite a few people who are um, capturing that family information um particularly like my dad's mother's side they we have a reunion every year patrick family reunion so there are several people that are capturing that however they're not capturing it for my direct descendants but other descendants who are part of the patrick family so i've been thinking recently because i do go to the reunions that um i need to talk to my aunt um, and get more information about our direct descendant who, who is part of, this, part of these siblings that we have this reunion around every year so that he can be better represented. Um, but yes, there's also people, um, I have a cousin, another cousin who's interested in looking on my mom's side and researching that, and I'd like to work more with her. Um, uh, it's really... There's so much information. I, I keep telling myself, like, you know, I'll probably have to wait till I retire. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things that sometimes you can't, mm -hmm. you know, particularly right. when it comes to getting oral histories, you know, because people sometimes die and um, you want to try and get that information, like the oral history information, and even like sitting down with them and, and talking to them about, you know, tell me about your parents, tell me about your grandparents, tell me about your great-grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting that kind of basic biological, that, that family tree uh, information, the genealogy, so that you can even use that to do additional searches through Ancestry or, you know, some of these other sites, mm -hmm. I think is really helpful. Right. Now, um, in talking about oral histories, did you ever feel, well, I guess I should ask first, did you, um, so you mentioned that you grew up in North Dakota, did you interact with your great uncle much growing up before 
kind of finding out about all of these materials to digitize? Not at all. So no. you were basically when you were conducting oral histories with him, that was your first encounter with him? Oh no. I had interacted I'm trying to think the first time I did. I was definitely an adult mm-hmm. and basically it probably was after I moved here to the, the DC metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. As I really started to, to talk to him a lot more. I may have spoken with him prior to that. And I may have even met him as a child, but I don't remember. Right. I mean, he's like one of, you know, ten. Um, I definitely was probably closer to his sister, mm-hmm. um, my Aunt Betty, my great Aunt Betty. Um, and that's probably how I started to connect with him once I moved here was through her. I see. Yeah. When you were doing the oral history, did you ever feel like um, it was something that another family member should have done because you weren't as close to him? Or did you feel that it actually kind of helped you not knowing him as well, that you were able to ask those questions? Because I know Mm -hmm. some people... um, I've heard that some people actually open up more in ways when they're talking to somebody who they're not as familiar with because they um, have that um, something about talking to someone who is a little more anonymous, I guess, rather than their own close family member. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think that I moved here in 2007, and so I had like nine years to get to know my great uncle mm-hmm. during that time right. and yeah. and visit and, you know, talk to him on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like by the time I did the interview in 2016, that was, he was very comfortable with me and um, there wasn't, like, I wasn't a stranger. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that he was very eager to share uh, I feel like, I, and this comes from, oh, as far as me being the, the one, um, I feel like my journalism background, um, I just took it upon myself to do it because I wanted to know my history. Right. And because of my background, I'm a pretty good interviewer. And, and he was eager to share. I feel like everyone is eager to share right. their their history, their story, their mm-hmm. life, particularly as they get older. Yes. And they kind of start to reflect on, you know, what is it that I've accomplished and what are the things that I maybe wanted to do and I wasn't able to do. Um, I think he was more than happy to, to share and um, he was pretty comfortable sharing. And I think the circumstances, you know, I've interviewed two... Uh, people uh, among the 10 siblings Um, I'm always quite impressed with um, the way that my great my great aunt Betty and my uncle Russell talked about the difficult painful experience of losing their mother Mm -hmm. and I found that um, their openness to discuss that has been very uh, for me, very eye-opening, and, and it's really shed a lot of light on me personally and how you how do you navigate, like, family tragedy. 
Right. And how do you move on? I mean, I have um, one of the other siblings, my great uncle Frank. I think I never interviewed him. I he was he was one of the ones that I wanted to interview, and he passed. Mm. But I did speak to him, and um, it's so interesting to see, depending on the person, how they deal with that tragedy. He was much older than my uncle Russell. He was the oldest, in fact. Um, and so it impacted him a lot differently than my uncle Russell, who was only like two. Right. Um, and so it is interesting just when you look at it from a, a life growth type of perspective to see how, how people deal with that and how they move on right. or don't. Right. It's very important. Um, well, I think we're actually going to take a quick break. Once again, you're listening to the DC Public Library on Full Service Radio, and we will be back right after this. Once again, you are listening to the D.C. Public Library on Full Service Radio. This is Memories on Tap. We are talking to Angela Forrest about her experiences um, using the Memory Lab to digitize her family's collection of photographs and also the stories behind those materials and what she has learned um, through the process and also about her family. So we were just talking about um, how the process can kind of shed light on dealing with uh, death in the family. Um, And I know that's a very heavy topic. And um, even if it's not necessarily death-related, a lot of people, I mean, it's a very emotional uh, process when you're going through your family's materials, especially with photographs or anything visual, where you see people who are very close to you. And, I mean, I've seen people, when they digitize their videos, start tearing up right there in the memory lab. Um, so it, it, it's definitely very, um, very emotionally taxing experience, or at least it can be. Um, I wanted to ask you, as you were going through this process, did you discover anything about your great uncle or about anybody who is in those photographs? Um, Anything that was surprising or that kind of changed your perspective of them um, from when you grew up or from how you viewed them when you were growing up, I should say. Um, it's kind of a challenging question, I think. Because I, because I didn't grow up around them and I didn't, um, I didn't interact with them, mm-hmm. really. It was like everything was new. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Everything um, I saw and the pictures. I, have to, I do have to say there are some pictures of my grandparents because I did visit my grandparents like every at least every couple of years when mm-hmm. I was a child. We would drive, you know, to Virginia, um, and um, I think some of the some of the pictures of my grandmother in particular, my dad's mom. I do think it kind of showed her in a different light. I remember her as being, um, oh gosh, fairly stern. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a a very shy child, and I remember visiting them in Virginia, and my grandmother kind of scared me because she was very loud. (laughs) In the mornings, she would, she was, she was very much about, like, in the morning when you walk in to um, sit down, you, you always say good morning, and I was very shy, and I never really talked that much to adults. And so she, she kind of was like, well, why didn't you say good morning? You know, and it was like kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, so to see those pictures of her young, much younger and kind of like carefree, and it was a different perspective for me to mm-hmm. see that. Um, but in general, I think I, I just learned, everything was new. I was learning about these these individuals and how are they related to me and you know as far as the people that were still alive and um yeah it was it was just it was very new to me which is pretty consistent with a lot when it comes to my extended family I'm, I'm still kind of learning who people are and right. getting to know them and forming relationships it's kind of exciting right actually mm-hmm. to do that I'm sure um, di- is there any story or any anecdote involving your great uncle Russell um, that you found out through interviewing him like a particular case of him spending a lot of time with one of those children that he helped raise or that he um, helped mentor perhaps in Baltimore Mm-hmm. Or anything, did he ever talk about a particular child or that had a lot of, that he had a particularly close relationship with? There is one story that comes to mind, and it's um, he used to get, give away bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to remember if this came out of my interview. I think it came out of my interview with him. He would have these bicycles, and like he basically would give them away to any child who needed needed it, as well wow. as like other items, you know, I guess like bats and whatever whatever they needed. If they came to him and they said they needed something, he would find a way, I guess, to make sure they they got that um and it's amazing yeah like i specifically think like the story that i'm specifically thinking of is involves bicycles that he had talked about but yeah i mean it just shows the the depth of his of his generosity and his really his real genuine concern for these young people and i guess an understanding of maybe the difficulties maybe that they might have faced that he could probably relate to some of that Um, when I look at even um, 
you know, my cousin, his daughter, um, and even myself, I see, I see elements of that. I see elements of, of generosity, great generosity, and um, a, a great desire to help young people um, prosper mm-hmm. and to do well. And they don't have to be related to me cause, because I think, like my Uncle Russell, as it was like, and my cousin, it's like we're all family. You know, my cousin always says that, oh, we're all family, you know. So having that kind of spirit of embracing people and and wanting to help people, I think that is a very powerful legacy that he's left behind. Right. And especially if if your biological family members are not necessarily available um, to give you that kind of guidance, I'm sure he really provided that guidance to a lot of people mm-hmm. and helped them yeah. develop and grow. Well, we are getting kind of close to time, but I also wanted to ask you, um, not to put you on the spot again, but do you have, of all of the memories that you have growing up or even more recently, um, what in your opinion, is the most important or special memory that you have? If you could, if there was only one thing that you could save, thankfully (laughs) that isn't the case, but if there was only one memory that you could save and pass on to your family members to say, like, this is what um, has been such a big part of who I am, what would you say that is? Hmm. <laughs> wow, that's like a <laughs> that's a big question. Um, I would say the thing that comes to mind actually involves, um, and I don't know how you would capture this. It wasn't captured. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a memory. Right. But uh, I used to run competitive uh, and track and field competitively mm-hmm. since the age of five, from like between five and. 19. Wow. That's pretty young to start, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, like, every summer, I was, like, all summer long competing in various, like, track and field events. And I dis- distinctly remember. So, I was pretty pretty good. This is in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really good in the 400. That was, like, one of my top events, 400 meters. So, in one particular track meet, one particular summer, I was in, like, a... Um, kind of a regional uh, track meet and I always won (laughs) and this particular race I didn't Ah. (laughs) this particular race uh, (laughs) there was a young lady who um, I distinctly remember coming around the last 100 meters and at that that point that's usually when like I'm most winded and like losing my energy and she was just like full of energy (laughs) and she just like went right past me and so that was really hard for me I think I was like 11 to really kind of deal with defeat like that that was just a really hard thing and I distinctly remember not wanting to go up in the stands and like face my mom um uh not that my mom was one of those um I don't know what you call those parents like, who go crazy <laughs> with their kids in their sports. Their kids have to win. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't really like that. But at the same time, I felt a tremendous 
like I had let her down. Mm. So I remember going up to the stands and like facing her and she all she said was, you know, um, as long as you you did your best, as right. long as you did your best. I mean, that's that's fine. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. So that has kind of stuck with me probably throughout my life uh, and anything that I've done. Right. You know, as long as you do your best, then the, your best is good enough. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how just one memory can kind of impact so many of your decisions and actions going forward through the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think we are just about finished, so I wanted to thank you once again for being here so much. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I've had a, a great time talking to you. Thanks. So this has been an episode of D.C. Public Library's Memories on Tap on full-service radio broadcast live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Please visit dclibrary.org to learn more about the library's services and programs. And please also send us your comments online at DCPL on Twitter and at D.C. Public Library on Instagram. You can listen to and download this show wherever you listen to your podcasts by searching for Full Service Radio. Thank you for listening and have a good rest of your afternoon. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.